Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 85 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have with me Daphne and Becky, and we are going to be talking about what abuse is and what it isn't. And I just have to say, I get a lot of questions from women who wonder, you know, is this like, sometimes I act this way and is that abusive? I was even talking to, or uh, listening to someone share their story on this last week. And she actually went through a phase where she was hitting her husband and he was obviously the abuser in the relationship, but she was exhibiting those kinds of behaviors in response to the abuse. And I think a lot of us maybe didn't go to that extent, but I know I yelled a lot and I know I, in two, on two different occasions, I threw uh, pieces of a teapot collection that I had. <laughs> one was more towards the beginning of our marriage and one was more towards the end. And both times I ruined a teacup, not a teapot collection, but a teacup collection. I ruined those two teacups and bent, you know, put a dent in the wall. And it was, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good for me to be acting like that. And it didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't really, it wasn't coming from, you know, the core, my core values or anything like that. And so anyway, I think this is going to be a good discussion. Welcome Daphne and Becky. Are you ready to dig into this one? Absolutely. Okay. So do do either one of you guys have some initial thoughts? Like when I sent you an email and said, this is what we're going to be talking about. What were you guys thinking? Go ahead, Daphne. I'll wait till... Okay. Well, so I, the first thing I was thinking, I was wondering kind of, when does this question come up for people who are going through this situation? When does this question of like, am I abusive? When does that come up? And I feel like it is in a couple of instances, like one where you mentioned Natalie, where like we're observing behaviors in ourselves, where we're recognizing that we're not honoring ourselves by how we're reacting to what's happening um, in our lives, how we're, we're not reacting well. Um, so that's one situation where this question is going to come up. Another situation I think is when maybe when someone realizes what is happening in their relationship falls into the framework or pattern of abuse, they take that to the, the person they feel is abusing them and say, Hey, you're abusing me. You need to stop. And then the per- person might retort and say, actually, you're the one that's abusive. Right. And so it kind of can become a manipulative like definition game. And, you know, and overall, I don't know that defining those things specifically as abuse is maybe the most helpful thing. I think we, we can get into that a little bit later, but I think that's, that's kind of the first thing I thought about was when would somebody ask this question? Yeah, I love that. Good thoughts. I would, I would say, um, I asked myself this question a lot. I came from um, a mom who was very abusive and my abuser would always bring up the fact that, oh, you're just like your mom. And he knew, he knew my vulnerabilities and that's what abusers know. They get to know your vulnerabilities so well and then they exploit them. And that's how they keep you kind of in control. Even if you're a 35-year-old grown-up woman, (laughs) they still have the control because... If you're like me, I grew up in the religious 
you know, Baptist world that said I had no rights as a woman. I was just there to serve the man. And so anyway, I remember, you know, reading my Bible every morning and journaling and just hating my responses and thinking I've got to overcome this sin of yelling. I've got to overcome this sin of losing my temper. Now, way years later out of it, I can look back in every single instance. First of all, I celebrate like my fourth year anniversary with a really good man now. Uh, in four years, <laughs> I've never lost my temper once. Yeah. I've gotten frustrated, but never to the point where I couldn't just like walk away and say, you know, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm dealing with a lot of emotions right now and I'm just, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So can, let's take a 10 minute break and I'll, I'll come back. Let me get some coffee. Like yeah. it's that calm. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's, it's so different. <laughs> it is. I think it's different because it's like, it's, it's a difference between dealing with a brick wall that you know that you're banging your head against and it really hurts like hell and dealing with someone who, you know, there's flexibility there. You can have a conversation with them later on and work it through. And you just, you know, it's the difference between playing tennis and the other person is hitting the ball back and playing tennis with someone who never hits the ball back. And it's like, it's so frustrated, frustrating and it builds and it builds. And so he knew my vulnerabilities, right? And they were, I grew up in a children's home most of my life. I was very afraid of being homeless. I was very afraid of not having food on the table. He refused to work. And I think refusing to work was actually one of his manipulations uh, because that put us in danger of not having food on the table or a home. And so anytime I tried to discuss the problems and, and I can look back and go, I was never, I never had outburst of anger yelling and screaming unless it was specifically trying to resolve a problem. But the problem wasn't even him. It was me not realizing I had the power to walk away. I thought I was so stuck that my entire mindset was I have to fix this problem because I have no other options, but I did have other options. I just didn't know it. And now no one can bring me to that level of blowing up because I have the option and I have the control of my life to walk away from it. Yes. I don't have to have that person in my life. I don't have to deal with that kind of behavior, that kind of treatment. I walk away. And yeah. in fact, there's a relative of mine that uh, was treating me very much like my ex. And I started realizing because I wanted to keep the relationship, I started realizing I was getting really angry. And I was like, you know, I've got to choose my pain. I'm going to choose to not have that relationship because I don't want to be a monster. Right. Exactly. That reminds me of if anyone wants to know and learn more about that whole concept, um, Harriet Lerner has a book out called the dance of anger. And when I read that, that was my breakthrough. That was when I, when it, when I realized I had a choice, same exact epiphany that you just described. And once I knew that I had a choice my anger it had been so rat, ratcheted up, ratched up. What's that word? Ratcheted. <laughs> ratcheted. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I feel like on this podcast, we're always like trying to figure out words. Um, ratcheted. My, my uh, anger had been so ratcheted up and that book helped just dissipate a lot of that anger too, because it gave me, I re- again, if you go back to the brick wall thing, I realized the brick wall is I like, I can go around this wall. I don't have to go through it any more if I don't want to. And I don't have to keep locking the cage on myself. I can walk out. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But I would say, um, well, I feel like I'm over talking Daphne. 
<laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah. So with what um, you're saying about the choice, I think it's important. I definitely wanted to bring that up. I think it's important to remember that we have a choice. And the thing is we have a choice whether or not the behaviors quote unquote count or can be defined as abusive. Right. I think that that is maybe one of the hurdles that a lot of people struggle with getting over is they're trying to figure out like, is this abusive? Maybe it is. I don't know. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter if you can define whatever it is as abusive, because I feel like this is one of the ways like kind of feeling like you have to define something as abuse can be really harmful is because I feel like people tend to take it to either their partner or if they're in religious environments, they'll try to take it to their pastor or biblical counselor and say, hey, I think this is abuse. And then you can kind of get into these arguments and back and forth about the definition of abuse and trying to figure out, well, is it abuse or is it not? And ultimately, that doesn't really matter, right? You still have the choice. Like if you're in a relationship and there are patterns of harmful behavior to you, you can decide to do something different, to walk away, whether or not somebody else would call what's happening abuse. Right. That's right. That's Absolutely. right. That's, that's hard for the people in this audience, I think, to really grasp because we don't really see ourselves as adult women with autonomy. We really do see ourselves as um, children who need to obey people in authority over us and to obey God. But the, the problem is that we get mixed up in who's God and who's the people in authority over us. It's a little bit fuzzy. What God you know? expects. Exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right. yeah. And I th- I think one of the things that, that you wrote about before, Natalie, is what is our view and picture of God? I and mean, you wrote that you had this view of God as an abuser, essentially somebody who would want you to submit to someone destroying your soul, right? And so I think mm-hmm. it, it really depends on what your view of God is. I really had to embrace the fact that like, God didn't like what was happening, you know, and it was, I feel like once I really realized that, like I saw like the pattern of abuse and oppression in scripture and how like God continually like um, would rescue people in that situation and honor people in that situation. um, I saw, okay, God doesn't like this. Right. And he set up ways for people to leave those situations. So I feel like it really depends on your view of God too. Um, so I can see how that would be hard if you're feeling like God would want you to be enduring that type of treatment, which again, cause I was definitely there. Um, cause I got that from, you know, not only like these pictures of God, but gen- then just like how marriage is painted as like, it's supposed to be sanctifying. And so it's going to be hard. So, you know, you're not going to feel good all the time. You're not going to feel happy. So if you don't feel good, then it's okay because you're being sanctified. You know, the word abuse, like you were saying, Daphne, you know, to try to get that definition for like, maybe if you go to your pastor or whatever and help them, you know, they have a different idea of it. I think too, when you say, when somebody says marriage is supposed to be sanctifying or hard, that is like what, that might mean something totally different to the average couple that doesn't have abuse in their relationship. Hard might be, you know, maybe it's a job loss, you know, but hard is not like circular reasoning, emotional abuse, physical sexual abuse, all the, you know what I mean? So I think it just, it depends. I think you got to make your own decisions. Um, But I, again, my, and you know, I was, I was 
in a Baptist church. And then I went to a Presbyterian church before I divorced. And their theology said, if you're in an abusive relationship, marriage, that's because God ordained that. And you need to, that's the sandpaper in your life to make you more godly. So, I mean, it just depends. And I live in the South, so it's, it's a little, it's kind of out in the stick South and it's a little crazy. (laughs) Religious <laughs> <wise>. <laughs> crazy was the word I was just going to say. It's a little crazy out there, isn't it? Uh, not a lot of logic is included. <laughs> but um, yeah, for sure. I think it, you know, definitions. I would say I was called an abuser by a counselor. And the counselor was not a good counselor. Not because she said I was abusive, but uh, she didn't know to go beyond the reactionary uh, behavior so she would listen to my ex and he'd say, well, she did this, this, and this. She yelled, she screamed. Um, I'm sure I threw something during 21 years. <laughs> I'm sure I wanted to do way more than I ever did. <laughs> right. Um, but, and, and so he would say all that and she never once said, well, why did you do that? What was the context that happened in? Instead, it was like, do you realize how sinful that behavior is? Yeah. And it just was like, adding to that she was locking the door on the cage for me yeah so was it a biblical counselor oh yeah what, what yeah. is that uh, biblical stuff called the uh Neuthetic? Neuthetic Neuthetic. yeah <laughs> love that. yeah i love that okay so um l- let's let's get into what abuse is though because i know daphne you'd said well you know it's kind of hard it's tricky because everyone kind of has a different idea of abuse and for sure the religious um, our religious communities don't always understand what it is and what it isn't. I, there's two different sort of, um, paths or I think that, that abuse involves both of these things for sure. But I feel like I hear, um, two different kind of ideas about abuse. One is I hear Bob Hamp and, um, Patrick Doyle talking a lot about how abuse is not taking when someone can't take responsibility for themselves, but they put all the responsibility on the other person that's abuse. And then um, you see the power and control wheel, which is abuse is about power, powering and control, powering over another human being and controlling them. So um, those two definitions, I think, go together. I think when you're talking about abuse, you'll have both of them always hand in hand, dovetailing with one another. And yet there are women who will say, and I would have to say too, when I look back on my past behavior with my former marriage, that I was trying to control things so that, you know, and trying to manage things so that our, like you said, Becky, before we got on here, so to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my behavior and the, the ways I try to do that, when things started unraveling and falling apart, that's when I would start to fall apart. So I mean, did you guys experience that? What, what, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I would say that I, I definitely did experience that. Um, and I, I kind of think about it as, I don't know, I tend to get these like pictures of things in my mind to describe things. So I'm thinking of like this abuse, like container, right. And like different behaviors and tactics and strategy, and like communication things like they can all kind of fit in this container or this bucket of abuse. Right. But, and so I think like at, at any time, if you're looking at like individual, individual instances of behavior, I think anybody can 
you know, exhibit behaviors or do things to other people that could fit in this abuse container, right? I think ultimately the distinction is, you know, what do you do with that? You know, um, you know, kind of, um, I think that the pattern is kind of what is important to distinguish, especially when you're trying to figure out what am I going to do in this relationship? There's like one thing to say, okay, let me look at my own behavior and, you know, do I really think this is abusive? And let me take accountability for my own behavior, right? And the harm that it's caused. But I think sometimes too, you know, it's okay if someone says like, maybe something I was doing was abusive and like, and I don't agree. I think that's, that's one thing that like, that's good to remember that we all have, um, the right to agree or not agree with someone's assessment of our behavior and change it or not. Right. Like, just like we have that right, like our spouses or partners, they have that right as well. So I think it comes back to, you know, just remembering you can decide what you want to do. Right. Right. I was going to say, um, Natalie, I don't know if this before we came on or, or since, but you were describing like, you know, when things came up with my ex, I did want to control things. And so was I an abuser then because I really wanted to control the way and uh, the the behavior might have seemed that way. And maybe it is. Maybe I got more way more work to do than I think. But <laughs> But what I do know is that when I behaved the way that was would was abusive, yelling, screaming, um, it was all I could always go back to. I was so afraid. I was so incredibly afraid. I didn't have the option to get out. I didn't see. I didn't understand. I had the option, but I was so afraid of. And that's, that's what abusers want. They want you to be afraid. If you're afraid, um, we have a a family member who recently uh, awoke to the fact that she was married to a very abusive man and she's not been married very long to him. And in order to help her get away from the situation, because he is, um, he could be violent. uh, We bought her a ticket to, to fly somewhere and she had a place to stay for a few months And she got to the airport and she started throwing up and she was so, here is a woman who skydives. She takes her Jeep and goes down rivers, rapid rivers with a Jeep. Like she is this brave, audacious, like amazing woman. And she verbally or uh, physically just started vomiting because she was so afraid and I think our abusers get us to where, have you ever heard of the analogy of the afraid dog? Like they, they, they come out at you when they're afraid. That's when they're the most dangerous. Yeah. And so I would say, and, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit later, but even how my children watched me growing up, they would say, mom, yeah, some of those moments were abusive. And I have half of my children say, but I get it because I'm an adult now and I realize what you're going through and the other half say, it doesn't matter. It's never okay. So Daphne, you're right. It doesn't matter what people think. It's what you think. It's what you can do with your life. Mm -hmm. And And ultimately, like if you're still alive, you still have the opportunity to redeem that. Right. Like, so it's not like 
oh, well, you're an abuser and you're like condemned forever. Right. You know, it gives you an opportunity. Like you said, you had to look at like, where is this coming from? Okay. Like I'm afraid. I feel like I don't have options. What's going on there. Let me, let me look at that once I can be accountable for my behavior toward other people. And I can see what I can do to not put myself in this situation again. Right. Like, so that, that's one of the reasons why I feel like it can be harmful to have to feel like you have to define something as abuse because then it can feel like, Oh, it's irredeemable. Mm -hmm. Um, which, right. Which, which it's not like you can decide to do something different, just like, you know, a partner who you feel like is abusive can decide to do something different. But again, it goes back to your choice of like, have you observed them doing things different? Do you see them changing and do do they want to do things different? If Mm -hmm. not, then you can make your choice on how to interact, but it's not like it's, irredeemable. Oh, I was abusive. So that's it. Right. And I would say too, uh, if I had to compare myself with my abuser, I would have such remorse for losing my temper or for yelling at the kids or for screaming at my ex. And I would, I would do everything possible to show that remorse until again, the cycle would continue. And I would, whether it was three months later, six months later, blow up again. Mm -hmm. And so and I, th- my abuser really liked keeping me in that cycle because it kept me from getting help because I was ashamed right. because I've, I'd lost my temper. I had said things I shouldn't say. My kids saw me behave in ways they shouldn't see me behave. And now there's no way I can go ask for help. Right. This is kind of how I try to picture it too, using your dog analogy, but I use a cat and a dog. <laughs> there's a cat in a corner and the dog is kind of guarding the cat. And he doesn't, the dog doesn't even have to hurt the cat at all, like physically hurt the cat. All the dog has to do is once in a while look back and give a menacing growl or a menacing bark or even just a, like a tap of his tail, you know, just so the cat knows. But the cat, when the cat tries to exert herself, she might try to protect herself from that. The cat might snarl or reach out and scratch if she thinks that the tail's going to getting too close to her and, she, and it's going to hit her. The cat doesn't. The cat doesn't realize that if she ran hard, fast and hard, she might be able to get away. But she, right. she's stuck in the corner, and so her only recourse then is to snarl back to keep, and to try to keep him at a distance. And I think um, so. When we say, "Well, the cat's the cat's trying to control the dog," or the cat's trying to be mean <laughs> to the dog, but by by keeping the dog from hurting her. Okay, well, I, is that abusive? I say no, but the religious no. community might say yes, that's abusive. You know, she has no right to control the dog. Right. So, I don't know. But then I would I would I would say too though that my children didn't understand that. So, I had I made sure I did a lot of apologizing and and it, I'm not talking like this is behavior on an everyday ba- basis. This was we were we got an eviction notice because he wouldn't work and he stole all the money I made to pay the mortgage, that kind of stress, like (laughs) we're going to be homeless kind of stress. And I lost it. Um, my kids understand that now, like, so, so understand that, but I still was like, you know, I know, but that still wasn't right. Yeah. I should have chosen to leave at that point. And I didn't know that I could, but now I do. And, and, like I said, in four years, they've never seen me lose my temper. I've never even gotten really angry. I'm just like, whatever. Cause I know yeah. it's a whatever I can yeah. walk away. <laughs> right now. If you still have young, if you're listening to this and you still have little kids, Becky's kids are older. Like how, how old is your youngest? 
17, uh, 17 yeah. almost 18. Yeah. yeah. So if you're like me and you still have little kids at home, um, you still might get, you still might lose your, your, you know what? Right, right, right. Well, just because I, I don't, I don't have little ones to drive me up the wall right now. Yeah, or, or if you have lots of dogs, um, I was going to say too. Back to the cat analogy and the apologizing. That would be like the cat going every time the cat snarls. The cat going, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have snarled. I right. shouldn't. I shouldn't have kept kept you away. I'm so sorry. I did that too. Apologize profusely. Begged for forgiveness. And I later on, I would say. And he would graciously bestow his forgiveness upon me for, for, you know, being the cat in the corner. And so I don't think I don't that, and which is a completely different scenario from an abusive person who generally speaking, they're not usually saying they're sorry because they're, they didn't do anything wrong. Right. Usually they're not taking responsibility. So if you're a woman who's constantly taking responsibility for your own stuff, for your kids stuff, for your family of origin stuff and for your husband's stuff, like that's where you want to start doing the work. Cause you can't change your kids, your husband, your family of origin or anybody else, but you can start doing that inner work inside of your own self. Let them take responsibility for themselves. You take responsibility for yourself. And I really think the key to also get letting go of the anger is not just understanding that you have choices, but also understanding that they have choices. They get to be who they are and we don't have a right or the responsibility to change them and make them into someone that we think that they should be so that we can have a happy marriage and our kids can have a happy home. You cannot control the humans. And that was a really hard lesson that I had a very difficult time wrapping my brain around for a long, long time. And I finally had a breakthrough in that. And now I get it. And don't you feel like once you recognize that, you are able to experience so much more peace because when people act like assholes, it's like, well, you know, that's, I guess that's right. They get to. Yeah. Now I'm going to put a caveat in there though, because I was just thinking, I do, I don't have little children. I uh, own my own business. So I have financial freedom. So there's a lot of freedom of me saying, ah, whatever. And walking away. Right. I've got a lot of freedom to do that. I, I could very well be the woman with little children who relies on the husband's income and, and feel, even though I might know I have a choice, feel that that choice is so overwhelming that I can't take it. Yeah. And that's when I would lose my temper. Yes. Very early on in the marriage, that was, that was very much the case. Yeah, I, I can see that. I'm, I don't have kids, and so I wasn't in that situation and, and I think, I think one good thing to remember is that, you know, like, yes, there's the, the ultimate choice of leaving the relationship, but there's also smaller choices you can make in the relationship on a day-to-day basis that I think can help you not put yourself in the position where you feel like you're dishonoring yourself, right? Like if you know certain types of conversations go a certain way, you can ju- you can decide to stop engaging, you know, and still decide to make that choice. So like, those are, cause I know like those are some of the smaller choices that I ended up making, even when I was still married, like I, and I had to make some of those smaller choices. Like, okay, I know this, com- we've talked, we tried to talk about this before the conversation didn't go well for whatever reason. 
I'm going to make an adjustment, you know, and because for a while I felt like, you know, we would have to talk about everything and have to agree and come to a decision. And, you know, I wanted to be, I was still kind of in this place where, you know, I wanted to be in a loving, like mutual relationship with reciprocity. And I wasn't fully embracing that that wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, I wanted to have all these conversations and talk about all the things. And once I realized, okay, like he doesn't have the same goal as me, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to do something different. Like I'm going to have to spend this money without talking about it. Right. Or I'm going to have to, you know, make this choice to go here or stay at work late or do this or that, because that's what I know needs to happen. And having a conversation about that isn't going to work. Yeah. Right. right. So there's also, even if you can't, if, if you feel like you can't make the big choice of leaving, there's smaller choices you can make to protect yourself. Right. And to stay healthy. But I feel like that, that starts first with really acknowledging the reality of the situation, the why you're the why behind the response. Mm -hmm. And then I know um, it took me from the time I learned of his unfaithfulness to divorce was over two years. But I remember during those two years, it was when boundaries started to, I didn't even fully have a grasp of those till years after, after I left the relationship, but I can look back and go, I was starting to put little ones down. And part of that was, I'm not going to engage in this circular conversation again. Like we've had the same conversation over 21 years. Nothing has ever changed. And I'm always the bad guy, no matter what. So I'm not going to engage on this one. And here's the thing. It kind of throws them for a loop because they're used to a cycle. (laughs) You start breaking their cycle. And that's when things got really dangerous for us. But um, I don't. I don't regret, but, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Daphne making those little decisions. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately, so in my situation, my ex is the one that ended up leaving, um, and moving out first. And I think it was because he was seeing that I wasn't going to continue to engage in those unhealthy ways. And I was letting him be who he was without trying to change him and just accepting it. Like one of the, the things that, here's an example of something that happened. I guess I'll kind of tell y'all how this played out in my marriage. Cause this is why I know and why I know that like having this abuse definition is not helpful, like in, in a lot of ways. So when I first discovered or really learned that what was happening could really qualify as abuse was maybe seven, eight months after we got married, it was shortly before or shortly after Trump was inaugurated. And I had Facebook friends sharing information about narcissism on Facebook in relation to him. (laughs) Right. But it, I read it and I was like, Oh, this feels like this is what's happening. Right. So the first thing I did just like super ignorant, still like you know, learning all of this, thinking that, oh, well, he's a Christian. He wants to honor God. Let me show him this. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, I feel, I feel like you're, you're abusive. You know, we had a conversation, we sat down and he was like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. You know, and it was kind of like, okay, you know, I want to honor God. We can, you know, I'll work on it. Right. But of course, like that, that never really happened. I also took this to a biblical counselor who was like, well, it's just sin. And how do you treat someone who sins against you? And, you know, so it kept me in that cycle. 70 times. Yeah. turn, Turn the other cheek. How do you, you know, how do you treat your enemy? I think there's a passage in John that talks about like, feeding your enemies or in the, you know, that's, yeah. it, you don't it marry can't be them. in that cycle. 
Right. You, <laughs> you don't, don't have you sex don't with your them. enemy. I don't, <laughs> right. think, I don't think it says that anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> right. Exactly. But like, it just kept me in this cycle. So what I ended up finding out was the most helpful thing was when I would identify specific behaviors and say, Hey, this thing was hurtful to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's funny how like they sometimes start to use the same language back to you for your own things Mm -hmm. when you get language to describe it. But it, it really helped me get clear on what was happening. Right. So like one of the last examples that I have of this, I, I said, Hey, this thing was really hurtful to me. And he said, well, that doesn't bother me. I'm okay with that. You have to deal with your own hurt. I was like, okay, cool. This was like a few, a couple, this probably a month before he ended up leaving. So I was at the place where I'm like, okay, cool. You have the right to have that response. Right. You know, I don't have the right to try to control your response and I don't need to try to make you see how wrong that is. Yeah. What I, what's my responsibility is to take care of myself, right? Accept what he's doing, take care of myself and, you know, and act accordingly. So I don't. Maybe he wanted that to be a big thing, a big deal, a big conversation. I don't know. But I just said, okay. Wow. <laughs> and that is emotional adulthood right there, Daphne. Exactly. <laughs> it's emotional it adulthood. It took time to get there. <laughs> well, and I think, I think most survivors who are still in the middle of their relationships, they, don't, they want that so bad. Yeah. They want to be an emotional adult and they feel like they're stuck in emotional childhood. And it's really only, if you're listening to this and you feel like that, it's because I definitely felt like that for years and years and years. It's really only because you don't quite get, or you don't quite understand. And, and you need to have this, like, you'll, you know how you can't make these light bulb moments come. Like you want them to come. <laughs> they just, they have to happen, but eventually you'll get this light bulb moment and you'll be like, he gets to be that guy. He's yeah. that guy. And he can be that guy. I'm living with that guy. Now, what am I going to do about it? Now I get to be, I get to do whatever I, whatever the blankety blank I want to do with that, I get to choose because I'm an adult. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways I think defining abuse can be helpful, right? Like if you have all these behaviors and you're trying to figure out what's happening, it was really helpful to have this container and say, oh, this is abuse. Because then what I could do is try to find support. Right. I can figure out, okay, what, what do I need to do for myself in this type of situation? So it was really helpful for that. And then, you know, when you're in these communities, you all kind of have this shared language. So it's definitely helpful for that. It was helpful for me, but it wasn't helpful to try to take that, you know, to other people and try to get him to change. Right. Right. I was going to say, um, just talking about this has made me start thinking about, um, today in my life as I am today, would it have to be abuse for me to not put up with it? And no, it doesn't. It does. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm wondering if I was waiting for it to be bad enough for it to be justified, whether that was to God or to other people, the church, whatever. But now I don't, I don't have a litmus test of, okay, you can treat me like this, but don't go to this level. Because then I'll have to make a decision. You know what I mean? I don't have to, to identify. I don't have to use the word abuse. I can just say, um, I don't put up with that kind of behavior. Right. Or I, you, can, you, know, you get to make your choice about how you want to behave, but I just need to let you know, I'm not okay with that. When you do exactly. this, I'm not okay with that. And even if no one else understands, I, there's a, that family member that I had to make that decision. Um, 
a lot of people look on the outside, could not see what this person was doing because it was very subtle. And I knew this was just like my ex. I am not going to sit around and wait 20 years for everyone to finally go, oh, I get it. He's abusive when he tried to kill us. Before that, no one could see it. <laughs> so now it's more like, uh, no, I don't even need a an abuse litmus test. I'm just, if it's not good for me, it's not good for me, period. Yeah. Cause ultimately like abuse is behaviors, right? Like it's, it's not a thing by itself. It's made up of different behaviors and different things. Right. And, and behaviors to one is might be received differently than to another. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for sure. Well, this is a really, really good conversation. I think it'll be really helpful for people. Um, I want to wrap it up by just saying that this morning I was reading in um, Mark, and it was one of the later chapters because Jesus was about to get crucified. And something, it's so interesting to read the Bible through a completely different lens than I used to read it through. But one of the things that popped out at me is the fact that they came and arrested Jesus with clubs and swords, the Bible says. And he's like, why are you doing why are you arresting me? Why are you coming at me with clubs and swords? All I've been doing is teaching and the, you know, just teaching you guys. And I, I'm not like a dangerous person or anything. He didn't use those word, those words. Right. But the point is, the, the thing that I got out of that was that how many times have survivors been accused of like, oh, I have to be careful around you. You are a scary woman. I was told that in a counseling session I was told because I was trying to explain what was going on. And this counselor, again, new static biblical counselor leaned forward and says, you are very scary. If I was your husband, I would be running a thousand miles per hour in the other direction right now. Mine and said I would be living on the rooftop. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, good. That's what you want. Right? I know exactly. Go, Go there ahead. and live there, like run there. I actually, so when that happened, I actually was literally, my body was shaking like a leaf and I was sobbing. Like I couldn't even catch my breath as I grabbed my things and made my, I just had to leave the room. And obviously I never went back there. But my point is that Jesus was also, I just, it's just so nice to know that Jesus went through all of these different kinds of ways that we've been treated, including being arrested as a criminal with clubs and swords. Like he was going to somehow, you know, attack them or something if they came to arrest him. He had all the flying monkeys. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I wanted to share that. And then also before we go, I just want to say, because this episode will be airing right before, like a week before we open up the Flying Free Sisterhood group again. And um, I just want to let you know that it's going to be open at the end of September. Um, So if you're not, you can go to joinflyingfree.com to find out uh, well, to get on the waiting list, once you get on that waiting list, then you'll get emails that'll let you know, Hey, it's open now. Um, off the top of my head, I should have written this down. I don't know the exact date it's opening, but it's the last week in September that'll open. And I know it will close on October 2nd. So we usually have it open about five days. So how many days are in September? What is that? Okay. So it'd be like the 28th, I guess it'll be opening up. So, um, go to joinflyingfree.com. You can read tons of reviews. I just put up a whole bunch more reviews over there from people. And, um, 
you guys are in the group. Do you guys want to give a quick plug before we close? Anything you want to say? So even though I'm on the spot, <laughs> no, no, even though I am, um, like I was said earlier, I'm about to celebrate fourth year anniversary with the good husband. Um, I am still, I still have a lot to learn. I, and I'm still learning a lot and that comes through flying free, um, and overcoming and not even relationship issues. It's issues of learning to be me and how that affects every aspect of my life. Yeah. 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 I would say, you know, because one of the things we talked about is kind of how you view God and the Bible and the marriage. Uh, one encouragement and one, one thing that I found through the group is just seeing people and, you know, hearing from people that think differently about God, about the Bible, and it's okay right? Like you see that there are people that think different and it's okay. I know when you're in certain environments, it's really pushed that like people that think differently are thinking like the world or they're rebellious or they don't love God, but there are plenty of people that love God that see things differently. There are plenty of people that love God and think that God doesn't think that we should be abused, right? And it's, it's okay. So that the, the group really exposed me to that. Yeah, good. It's a, so we I mean we've designed this group to be a judgment-free zone that's completely and totally safe because so many survivors have not experienced that in their homes, some of them in their families of origin and certainly in many of their religious um faith communities. So we try to make sure that that's in place. And and then there's just so many resources in there. There's a vault of past resources like literally you could spend days and days and days and days exploring all the resources, which I don't recommend because that's extremely overwhelming. But what we do, what we will do if you join is we will take you by the hand and systematically feed, like spoon feed you, which is what I felt like I needed at the beginning, just a little bit of truth each, every three days in a lesson and, um, and a journal assignment that you can do to help you process through what you're going through. And it will take you in one year, I've had people say, at the beginning of this year, I really felt like I was at the end of what I could handle and I, was, I just didn't even want to live anymore. And at the end of this year, I'm, I'm, ready, to, I'm ready to rock and roll. So um, I was going to say ready to fly free, but a lot of them are still in their relationships. And when we say flying free, I don't mean that we're flying out of our relationships because many women are staying in their relationships. But like we mentioned earlier in this interview um, or in this uh, conversation, it's not it it it's more about what your it's your internal growth that's going to set you free not always necessarily your external circumstances and so um that's the first step and you can do that whether you're in uh an abusive relationship or you're not in an abusive relationship and many women that are divorced that i know are still doing that hard work i'm still doing that hard work kind of had a meltdown right before the podcast came, came on here with my friends here. And so we're all in this together. We're all doing this work together and it's going to be a lifelong process and it's beautiful and it's exciting. And we'd love to have you join us in that process um, to support you, to encourage you and help you grow. So that's joinflyingfree.com. Otherwise, I think we're done today. Until next time, fly free.